from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. Hope you're doing well. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. If you're new with us, welcome. My name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. If you're watching online, thank you so much. I'm looking at Elijah right there. If you see me online, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure that you share this video on your newsfeed. Help us to get the word out. Well, listen, church, today we are beginning a brand new, short, just three-week message series on marriage and relationships. So if you're not married, it's okay, because this is a series for all of us, because all of us are involved in some types of relationships, right? Whether that's family members or co-workers or whatnot, we all have relationships. This is entitled, For Better or Worse, Biblical Principles for Marriage and Relationships. And we're going to split up this series just a bit, because next weekend, next Sunday, my friend, uh, Pastor Shane Cox from Grand Rapids Latchkey Church, he will be with us next Sunday. And I wanted to give him the liberty and the freedom to just speak what the Lord put on his heart. So he's going to take a break from this series. We'll pick this back up on the 15th, okay, part two, which again will be Baptism Sunday, which of course is always a really, really big deal. So I would love for you to be with us during this series, during the next a uh, few weeks, man, lots of exciting things happening here at Radiant Church. Well, today, listen, I want to begin just a bit differently. I want to show you a photo of my wife and I on our wedding day. There it is. You can say, aww. That's right. I look like I'm 16 years old there, but hey. <laughs> It's okay. There are laws against that. I promise you I wasn't 16 years old, okay? But I remember that day, and we said our vows. We said, I do. We were young. We were in love. We were naive. And we had no idea what we were stepping into. And we had no idea that we were going to do this thing called Radiant Church. I mean, that was like way not even in our radar at that time. And uh, but she said yes, okay? So here we are uh, about 14 years later, and the Lord has been good. And can I just tell you that um, the first two or three years of our marriage, I can say honestly that it was, it was easy. It was, it was easy. Like, and I know that's not the case for everyone, okay? I get that. A, a lot of you are like, oh, my gosh, first two, three years was hell for me, Pastor Marco. It's like we just were trying to get used to each other and living with one another, and it was just so many challenges, and there were difficulties. You know, uh, probably in the first two or three years, we argued like maybe three times. I don't know. The only times we fought were like debating over which restaurant we were going to go to for date night, right? Nothing serious at all, but here's the reality of marriage. I think we all get to a point in our marriages where we say this, um, you know what? I didn't sign up for this, right? Didn't sign up for this one. And, or maybe you've said, you know what? <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be this hard. Holy, you mean I have to live with him? I have to live with her, right? And, and we get to a point where really the rubber meets the road. The honeymoon phase ends, and real life hits you real hard. And then you throw kids in the mix. Holy smokes. And then everything just gets thrown out the window, and things become much, 
more complicated. Yes, lots of joy, lots of laughter in the home, of course, but also heartache, also trying to understand one another. I mean, everything changes. On top of that, every single one of us, if you are married today, we all bring our own luggage into the marriage. I'm not talking about the luggage you take to Cancun. I'm talking about baggage. Okay, you bring your sin, right? He brings his sin, and now you got a big pile of sin together. And you got to try to figure out how you're going to work through that. You've heard the saying, Mikasa Sukasa, well, it's my baggage, now it's your baggage, right? And so we have to figure out how are we going to work this out? How are we going to move forward in this thing that we call married life? So why spend three weeks on marriage and relationships? Because I know for some of you, you're like, well, you know what? I just want to go through Romans line by line. Okay, that's awesome. and I love that. Okay, but here's the idea is, is, is marriage affects every part of our lives and every part of society, truly, okay? The Bible has a lot to say when it comes to marriage and relationships, how we treat one another, okay? But reason number two is this, is a healthy church and a healthy society is built on healthy families. And let me just tell you right now, our country is sick. Have you noticed that? No, I'm serious. The United States of America, we are sick. Why are we so sick? Because the family is broken. And when you have broken families, when you have a fatherless generation, you have a broken nation. And that's what we see right now, right? So a healthy church and a healthy society, a healthy nation, what? It comes from healthy families. And listen, our church can never be healthy if our families stay sick. And let's be honest, we're all a bit unhealthy because we're all a work in progress. Every single one of us, myself included, we're all a work in progress. And so my hope, listen, over the next few weeks, is I want to speak healing and hope um, into your marriage, into your family, into the legacy that you're going to leave. And I also want to bring to the forefront the wisdom of the scripture. Because here is the truth, church. You can win at your career, but you can lose at home. You can win making a lot of money. And that's great. You can buy all the stuff. Get yourself a nice car. Get yourself that home. Get yourself all the toys and the Nikes and the Jordans. Get yourself all those things, and you can lose at home. And guess what? You lost it all. You can some of this is going to offend some of you, so get ready. You can win at sports. You can be on every travel team, parents. You can win all the trophies, and you can still what? Lose at home. And when you lose at home, you lose. I mean, just point blank. You can memorize the book of Romans and go for it. Go, you should do memorize scripture. You can know all the stuff in the Bible, all the knowledge in the world, and lose at home. You lost. You lose. You know, it's hard to have a life. It's hard to thrive in your life. It's hard to win at life when you lose at relationships. And so this is why it's so important that we talk about these issues, that we talk about these things here in the church. Now, I, of course, 
It's obvious, I hope. I don't claim to be the marriage or relationship expert, okay? I'm not Dr. Phil or whoever the latest talk show you guys are watching, okay? That's not me, okay? Now, my wife and I are learning plenty after 14 years, okay? There's a lot more that we have to learn. The good news is this. The good news is that in the church, listen, you have access to, and we, and we do. We have, we have couples in our, churches, in our church that have been married for 50, 60 years, and you can access their wisdom if you ask for it. You have to ask for it, though. You, some of you have blended families where there's kids on both sides, and you're, now you're married, you know, you're trying to figure that out. We have blended families here at Radiant Church. They're not perfect, but they love God, they love each other, and they would love to encourage you. But guess what? You've got to kind of reach out and begin to access those families, and you can find encouragement for no matter what stage of life that you are at. Uh, finally, let me just say this. This is not just a conversation for those of us who are married, okay? I don't want to single anybody out, you know what I mean? I don't want to leave anyone out. I understand, clearly I understand this, is that some of us are not married. Some of us are happily married. <laughs> some of us are unhappily married. Um, some of us are single. Some of us are divorced. Some of us are like, we're not even thinking about marriage. We're like, heck no, my ex was a nut job. I ain't never getting married, right? <laughs> And so some of us are even saying that right now. And so no matter where you're at, though, listen, all of these principles are going to be biblical principles for relationships as well. And the idea is it's for all of us. Because let me say this, the enemy, the, the enemy wants your relationships, whether it's married or not, to stay broken and dysfunctional. The enemy doesn't mind if you come to church if you sing and you lift up your hands and you proclaim the victory of God, as long as you never experience that victory at home. The Satan doesn't care if you come to church and sing praises, but at home, it's hell. He's like, I'm happy because their home life is a mess. They are a wreck. So he doesn't care how many Bible verses you memorize because at home, you have no victory. There's no victory in the home. We need victory in our relationships. And as I said before, it's hard to win at life while you lose in all your relationships, okay? And so we want to experience victory in our relationships no matter if we're married or single. So on that note, I want to take a few moments. Let's pray together, and then I'm going to begin to teach out of the Word of God. I want to give you a basic theology of marriage, and then we're going to get into some real practical stuff, like real practical, like rubber meets the road. It's going to be funny. We're going to laugh together. Some of you are going to cry maybe, but it's going to be all good, okay? We're going to talk about some practical things that affect us all. How, we can, how can we make our marriages better, our relationships better? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and uh, we're just so so glad. We're so grateful for your faithfulness in our life, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you would restore marriages, that you would heal broken hearts, that you would mend what's been severed back together, God. Father, I pray for a wave of forgiveness and humility to flood over our church. And for those who are watching online as well, God, that there just be a flood of humility in living rooms and kitchens across the region, God. For that is the only way that we can begin to reconcile what's been broken, Lord. And so, Lord, um, would you open up eyes that have been blinded because of the hardness of hearts, because of life's difficulties. Some of us have come in, uh, we're cynical, we're critical, we're uh, just really a cynic towards everything because life has been hard. So would you come and soften hardened hearts this morning, open deaf ears to hear the gospel 
And may Jesus be lifted up, high and lifted up, to be seen by everyone in here, for that is the reason why which we gather, is that Jesus is glorified and honored, and that we just don't go through religious motions or just pretend, Lord, but we would truly see you and know you and experience you, God, that we, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, this morning, like I just said, um, I want to begin with a basic theology of marriage because it's really important that we just lay a groundwork so that we're all on the same page. Now, as I go through this really basic theology of marriage, um, you may realize that we're not on the same page. Now, if we're not on the same page, I don't want you to become offended and then leave. I want you to stick it out, okay? I want you to just hear what I might have to say, rather than really me, though, I want you to hear rather what the Lord would say from his word, okay? So if you are realizing I'm not on the same page as Pastor Marco or Radiant Church, stick it through, okay? You may be upset at me and offended. That happens quite often, actually. But listen, I want you to receive and listen what God has to say to you this morning. Um, some of you have heard me teach on these things before, but it bears repeating, okay? It bears repeating. Uh, let me just say this. When culture, surrounding culture, when it debates marriage and sexuality, when the world talks about marriage and sexuality, how do we define those things? I, I want to just say this as we begin, that there is a fundamental difference between um, those who say that marriage in its essence is a thing that's given from God and those who would say that marriage is a social construct. Now, Christians historically have always believed that marriage in its essence, the thing of marriage is a thing given by God and that it's not a social construct, okay? And so what that means is it means this. It means that when it comes to defining certain things like marriage, as believers, here's our stance at Radiant Church, we don't believe that the state defines marriage. We don't believe that government, that Biden defines marriage for us. Scripture defines marriage. Scripture defines love. And so if that's the case, if that's what we believe, and that's what, that is what we believe here, well, why don't we look at Scripture? And I know that's going to upset a few of you, but why don't we look at Scripture, and why don't we allow God to maybe change some of our minds, change our hearts when it comes to marriage? Point number one is this, is that marriage and sexuality is rooted in creation. It's Let's just start here. Marriage and sexuality is rooted in creation. What does that mean? That means this. That means if you're wondering, what does the Bible say about sex? What does the Bible say about marriage? You don't have to look that far. All you got to do is grab your Bible, like the first, like the second or third page, it starts to talk about marriage and sex, like pretty quick. Gender, what does the Bible have to say about gender? A lot of people talking about gender these days. Oh, yeah, the Bible says a lot about gender. Just open it up to like the second or third page. It's all right there. So marriage and sexuality is rooted in Creation. Let me just show you a few verses so I can prove my point. Genesis 2:18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That Hebrew word 
suitable, it denotes um, sameness and difference. Sameness and difference. What God is saying here in Genesis 2.18 is that the helper, and that's not a demeaning term either, that term suitable is this idea that Eve will be like Adam in the sense that Eve is a human being. She will be different from Adam in the sense that she will be sexually different. She will be a female. She will be gendered differently. So we see that right from the very get-go. And then if we press ahead just a little bit in your Bible, a few verses forward to Genesis 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, leave that verse up there because this is also very telling. This sort of sets a precedence for uh, biblical marriage, and there's a progression here. And, I, and, and let me just kind of show you the progression, okay? Here's the progression. A man leaves his home. Okay, that's step number one. Step number two is a man marries his wife, stops playing Xbox all day, okay? And he marries his wife. He moves out. He gets his own apartment, pays his own bills, and then, right, they get married, and then they become one flesh. That's they have sex. Now, that's the biblical progression. And some of you are like, a lot of you are probably like, I didn't do it in that order, Pastor Marco. I get you, all right? There's no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus, okay? But this is the biblical precedence. I, this is what I teach couples when they're like, well, why can't we just live together? And I'm like, well, here's the idea. It's like there's a biblical precedence. And maybe we're not having sex. And I'm like, yeah, right. Come on, really? Really? Oh, come like, mm, yeah. Uh, no, we're not going to have sex. And you're going to be engaged for nine months without sex. You're crazy, okay? That's not going to happen, all right? It's not going to happen, all right? For real. And so I, I always refer back to Genesis 2.24. I'm like, this is uh, like, th like, this is like the, the, the progression. But here's what I also want to show you from that text. Did you notice from that verse, it does not say this is why Adam leaves his father and mother. Well, why doesn't it say Adam? Well, number one, Adam didn't have a mom and dad, okay? And, and number two, this is God's way of saying this is the way it will be from this point on. In other words, this is how marriage will look from this point on. It starts with Adam, but it, God is referring to the man as a whole, right? This is, this is about marriage as a whole, according to Genesis 2, Sex difference is not a take-it-or-leave-it option. It's actually what marriage is, okay? This is the foundation, by the way, for all other marriage passages in the Bible. It's not, and I want to just be clear, and again, this is kind of offensive to our culture, but whatever. Uh, the Bible clearly does not condone, does not approve of a man and a man in marriage or a woman in a woman. It's spoken clearly here in Genesis 2.24, right? It's a man... It's a male and a female. This is the biblical foundation. Whenever you read about marriage in the Bible, this is the foundation. I'll prove it to you. Point number two is this. The definition of marriage is repeated by Jesus. The definition of marriage is repeated by Jesus. Okay, so when Jesus is asked a question about divorce, notice what Jesus says here. It's Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning 
The creator made them male and female. Where's that coming from? That's actually coming from Genesis 1.27. You can look it up yourself. He's quoting Genesis here. And it said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Here it is again. And be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus, again, is quoting Genesis. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So I love this because Jesus doesn't redefine marriage for us, right? He actually just says, well, it's already been written about in Genesis. Remember, just go back in the Bible and open up those few pages in the beginning. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that he puts his stamp of approval on the whole Old Testament as a whole. Okay? Jesus believed in God's word. He affirms it, that it's good, it's right, it's beautiful, it's true. By quoting Genesis here, once again. Point number three, marriage is reflective of Christ and the church. Marriage is this reflection of Christ and the church. The, the relationship that, that Jesus has with his people, right? The church, that, that's us. And so here's what we've already seen. Point number one, what did we see? We saw Genesis, right? Point number two, we saw Jesus quoting Genesis. Point number three, now we're going to see Paul. Guess what? Paul's going to quote, you guessed it, Genesis. Here it is again. Ephesians 5, 31, 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul doesn't make something up. He's not like, well, let me just kind of figure out. No, no, no. He's like, it's already been, it's been written about. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So again, uh, marriage is, is, is not just this institution that God sets up, male and female. It's actually this reflection of what? Jesus and the church. This gospel being reenacted out. It's just an incredible picture, honestly. This is why if you read the Old Testament, if you read any of the prophets, I know they're hard to understand at times, but oftentimes the prophets are calling God's people back, you know, to obedience to the Lord because they've wandered. They always wander. They always disobey. They always do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? When that happens, when God's people, Israel, listen, when they're worshiping idols, they're caught up in idolatry, what does God call it? Adultery. That's, a, that's, that's crazy. Like, why would God use, like, that type of language to talk about spiritual obedience? You ever think about that? It's just strange. Adultery. He says that because that's essentially what it is. He's the relationship that God has with his people. It's this covenant relationship, right? God is faithful to his bride even when we're not faithful. And that is why God says, you have, you, you adulterous people. Because the relationship he has with them is so close, so tight-knit. The only thing that we can have to compare to that, which is marriage itself. So it's pretty interesting that God uses that type of language there, okay? So I, I want to just reiterate that quickly. When we think about marriage in the Bible, it's rooted in creation, okay? Uh, number two, it's repeated by Jesus. And then number three, marriage is this reflection of Jesus and the church, okay? Those are just, again, just basic groundwork theology for marriage. So I hope that we're all on the same page. And if we're not... Just keep listening, okay? I want you to stay with us and listen and hear what the Lord would have to say to you this morning. 
Okay, now we're going to shift gears, okay? Now we're going to shift gears. Here's what I want to do. For the rest of my message, I want to just give you some really practical rubber meets the road application. Uh, I want to just give you four biblical principles for better marriages and relationships, okay? Now, now that we've set that tone, now that we've set that groundwork, let's just take some principles from the Bible and apply them to our marriages, to our, if you're not married, it's okay. Apply them to your relationships. They'll all apply. I promise you, you don't have to be married. It's okay, okay? They'll all apply. Okay, principle number one. These are just four that the Lord put on my heart. Number one, speak life. In your relationships, in your marriage, I want you to practice speaking life. And honestly, it takes practice, okay? I'll get to that in a moment. Proverbs 18:21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. Did you know that we can change our relationships with the words that we use? So often in marriage, as time goes by, here's what we do in any relationship, but as time goes by, what do we do? We take one another for granted. Because we've just been in each other with, for so long, okay? You be, the longer you've been married, the longer, the more, uh, the, the more prone you are to take your spouse for granted. Now, the more that you take your spouse for granted, here's what happens. When that happens, it becomes far too easy to make criticism the focus of your communication. No? Yeah? Uh, mm. Some of you are agreeing, some of you don't know. I'm just going to speak from experience then. It's far too easy to make criticism the focus of our communication. So here's what we do in our marriages and our relationships. Instead of building up, we belittle. Instead of encouraging, we tear down. Instead of speaking life, we speak death. As we do, we can literally watch as the other person deflates in their self-confidence, um, in their self-assurance, in their self-esteem, because we've made criticism the focal point of our communication. And maybe that's not for all of you. I just know that that's a temptation in, our, in my marriage, okay? Speaking life, though, is, is, is a much better alternative. There have been times where my wife has had to talk me off the ledge, not figuratively speaking, thank God. Thank God, right? But there have been times where my insecurities rise up to the top and I get so down on myself and then I just kind of go into a corner and I'm like brooding in darkness. And like, unless she comes and begins to speak life over me, right, I will just implode. Some of you understand this. Here's, here's how you'll understand this. For some of you, your inner voice is your worst critic. Your inner voice is your worst critic. And I know that we shouldn't listen to that, but sometimes we can't help it. And sometimes the lies of the enemy are screaming in our ear. And they're the loudest voice that we hear. And because of that, unless we have someone else to come and speak life over us, we simply cannot get out of that. We need someone to speak life over that. And that's our marriages have the incredible opportunity to be able to do that, right? We can literally change our spouse's life 
We can change our marriage if we choose. We have to choose it, though, <laughs> to speak life over one another. Paul writes in 1 Thess- Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage, there's the key word, encourage one another and build each other up. Don't tear each other down. Just as, in fact, you are doing. Can I just tell you this, church? No one needs to be instructed on how to tear each other down. No one. Because we do it pretty well on our own. Some of you have PhDs in tearing each other down. You're winning trophies at home. I'm serious. You tear your kids down. You tear your husband down. You tear your wife down. I know that maybe, maybe not all of you. I hope not. But for some of you, maybe that's the case, right? Maybe that's the, you're so used to using criticism and nitpicking every little thing that they do, right? Instead of speaking life, and it should be this way, right? We, it should not be so among God's people that we tear each other down. Proverbs 10, 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence, right? So, so just what if today, you could choose to speak life over your husband, over your wife, over your children. If you're not married, it's okay, but you have children. Over your children. And, and listen, find an opportunity to speak life, okay? And, and don't just fake it, because we can all tell when it's disingenuous, right? Don't just fake it, but look for an opportunity to speak life over someone, right? Look for that opportunity. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you give me an opportunity to speak life over my kids? Holy Spirit, will you give me an opportunity to speak life over my spouse? And he will give you that opportunity. And literally, you can watch how your relationship will begin to change as you choose to speak life over your marriage and relationships. Principle number two is this. Avoid harsh tone. So speak life. Number two, avoid harsh tone. So it's not just the words that we use that can get us into trouble, but it's how we say them can also get us into trouble in our marriages and in our relationships, okay? How many of you know this, that you can say all the right words, but in the wrong way? Give you a practical application so you understand. This is how it looks like in my marriage. I'll be vulnerable. I'm reading a book. My wife's already smiling because she knows where I'm going to (laughs) go. I'm into something, right? And she's like telling me, oh, by the way, kids are getting picked up at this time. And oh, the teacher sent home this way. Oh, and then you got to go. And I've got a chiropractor appointment at 2 o'clock. Are you listening? What? And she's like, gee whiz. Really? She'll kind of look at me, really? And I'm like, sorry, sorry. And I'm like, harsh tone. Harsh tone, right? So you can say all the right things, but in the wrong ways, and it still gets you into trouble in your relationships and your marriage, right? Ephesians 4.32, Paul says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Listen, part three of our series is going to be all about forgiveness, okay? We'll go there, so I'm not going to touch that today. But we'll talk all about forgiveness in part three. It applies to all of our relationships. But be kind to one another. Paul reminds us that we are to be kind. And this is not to say that you should, um, that you should ignore your spouse when they offend you. Of course not. You should, communicate. you should communicate how you're offended. But when you communicate it, you should, in your best ability, be kind to your spouse, even though you are offended, right? 
We use harsh tone, though, often when what? When we're tired, when we're stressed, when we had a long day, when, guess what? When we don't feel like talking. Men, how many of you, at the end of the day, you're out of words? Right? And so your wife, she wants to talk. She's like, I want, I want to talk, I want to talk. And you're like, I'm tired. I already talked to a bunch of people. I don't want to talk. And the wives are like, wait, what? Right? But we're just, we're just stressed. We're tired men. We're just, we, like, we run out of words. Women, I love you, but you necessarily don't usually run out of words, okay? You, okay, just saying, don't kill me. But men, we run out of words. We, we, we do. It's like 5 o'clock, 5.30, and we're kind of out of words, right? And it takes us a while to get some of those words back. Sometimes, because of that, we respond with a harsh tone. But here's, here's the danger of a harsh tone, and it, and it works both ways, both ways. A harsh tone, all it produces is this. Harsh tone produces a hardened heart, okay? Harsh tone produces a hardened heart. And guess what? When you have a hardened heart, what does that do? It shuts down communication. And when you shut down communication in the household, guess what? You, you don't have a marriage anymore. You don't have a, you don't have a thriving, flourishing marriage, in, a marriage anymore, okay? Harsh tone produces a hardened heart, and a hardened heart shuts down communication. And you're wondering, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. When, when you shut down because you're upset, when you're, when you're angry, when you're offended, right? Why would I talk to you when you already hurt my feelings? I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk to you, okay? I don't want to talk to you if you've already hurt my feelings, okay? Now, and, and, and I know every marriage is not like this. I get it. <laughs> but in our marriage, my wife and I, we are just not afraid of conflict, okay? We're just wired that way. We're not afraid. So what does that mean? That means we call each other out. And she would say, don't say it like that to me again. Sometimes she'll be angry, and I'll be like, oh, really? Angry anyone? <laughs> no. It's no holds bar in the Salazar household. Salazars, you understand this, okay? I got some family here. I can say this. Now, that's good for us. It's good for us because 90% of the time, 90%, not all the time, we respond in humility, and we're like, okay, you're right, like, I got to chill. I'm sorry about that, right? I shouldn't have said that to you. She'll say, I'm sorry. I was angry. I shouldn't. Forgive me. I forgive you. And we move forward, right? But we will call each other out on that. Why? Because harsh tone produces hard hearts. And if you're being harsh with me, I shut down. And we shut down. When I shut down, I don't want to talk to you. When she shuts down, she doesn't want to talk to me. So we understand that. We understand that dynamic in our house. So before it gets there, we're trying to, and again, I know it's not like that for every marriage because your personality. Some of you don't like conflict, so you're just like, ah, right? But for us, we don't mind it. We put on boxing gloves, right? So <laughs> it's not that bad. Chill out. Right? But for some of us, listen, listen you, you don't like the conflict, but this helps us because it, it shows us where we need to practice humility. It shows us where we need to bring correction to our relationship, to, to how we speak to one another. And we don't want that harsh tone to produce hard hearts that shuts down communication, okay? So today, listen, I want you to remember tone makes a difference. Tone makes a difference. 
Tone makes a difference. It really does. So today, will you practice kindness in the way that you use your tone with your spouse? Will you be reminded? And when you encounter that, when you encounter that temptation to be harsh, with your kids even, with your kids, this is a temptation for me often is to be harsh, to be harsh with my kids. And my wife will say, why are you so grumpy? Why are you so grumpy? And I'm like, right? She calls me out on it. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. She's like, why are you grumpy with the kids? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I gotta chill out. She's like, you gotta go, go breathe, go in the corner, go punch a wall or something. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll come back after I punch the wall, okay? And I'll be okay, I don't punch the wall, I just chill out, okay? I don't punch a wall, calm down. But practice kindness in your tone. If you're engaged, you're like, I don't understand anything this guy's saying. <laughs> this is crazy, we don't ever do that, honey, do we? No, never, no, it's coming for you. All right, principle number three, learn to serve, learn to serve. I want you to learn to serve. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, that is. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. The audacity, right? (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is very kind in his response, by the way. They replied, let us Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus replied, or Jesus said, can you drink the the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I I I will be baptized with, right? It's this idea that Jesus is going to the cross. He's going to suffer. What he's doing here is he's asking them, can you suffer the way I will suffer? In other words, he's saying you have no idea what you're asking. You're very naive is what Jesus is really trying to point out here. They say, we can, and it's a very naive naive answer. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup. In other words, you will suffer for my name. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am be baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong, belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard this, the other 10 disciples They became indignant. They were angry with James and John. Jesus called them together because it's a teachable opportunity, gets them in a huddle, and he said, you know, he's talking to the 12, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. There it is. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Very offensive language in our culture today. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the biggest deterrents to a healthy marriage, to healthy relationships, is selfishness. On both ways, and this is not just some of us, this is all of us, because all of us have a sinful, selfish nature. In fact, it's been said that you don't realize how selfish you are until you get married. Did you know this? The fastest way to kill a marriage is to act like you're still single while you're married. And I'm not talking about like, oh, like he's flirting with girls and dating girls online or whatever. <laughs> That's going to kill your marriage, of course, right? What I'm talking about is this, is that when you live your life in a way that only your needs are the ones that are important. 
When you live your life inside of your marriage where you, you arrange your schedule, it's all about you and not about your spouse. That's a very selfish way to live out your married life. So James and John, right, they come to Jesus, and what, what do they want? They want to sit at his right and left in his glory. What that means is this, is that they want positions of power, prestige, and honor. And Jesus tells them, listen, that's not for you, that's not for me to determine. He says this, and then he pulls them together, and he says, the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you. Those who have authority, they lord it over you. What does that mean? That means this. It means that those who are in charge, uh, they act like they're in charge, and they bark orders at you, and they lead from the top up. Jesus is trying to get to this idea that most of us think that to be great in this world means that I got to be the top dog. I got to be on top. I got to be like telling everybody what to do. I, I'm the master. I'm the ruler. You do this and you do that for me and I'm your. Jesus says that's the wrong way to think. That's not going to lead to anything that's great. Jesus is saying I want to redefine what greatness means for you. He flips that paradigm completely upside down because it's a backwards kingdom, okay? Jesus says if you want to be great, here's what you're going to do. Be a servant. Most of us are like, excuse me? Did he just say what I think he said? How? Jeez, oh, who does he think he is? Jesus says, well, here's, here's why I can say that. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He's referring to himself. But to give his life, right? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who's our example here in relationships and in marriage? It's Jesus. He's come to serve. He's come to serve, and he wants us to be servants in our relationships. He wants us to serve in our marriages. He wants us to, be, to fall into a cycle of serving. And when we do that, we can begin to fulfill each other's needs. And, and I know that this is difficult for many of us. It's so difficult because we're selfish, okay? That's why it's difficult. Serving is very inconvenient to our schedules, okay? Serving is a burden when all you want to do is sit at the couch, it's a burden at times, right? When your spouse is sick and all, you, all you'd rather do is sit back and watch a Netflix or whatever it is, but you have to serve your spouse because they're sick, that's when love comes into play. That's when real love comes into play. Because real love is a choice. Real love is about serving the other when they don't deserve it, right? When it's inconvenient, when it's unsexy. That's what real love does. It serves the other. And we don't serve because someone deserves it. We don't serve because someone is so attractive. We serve because Jesus served us. And if you serve in your marriage, I promise you, it will change things. It will literally change your marriage. But the best marriages, listen, are characterized by both the husband serving the wife and the wife serving the husband, okay? Don't, don't allow it to be one-sided. Don't keep score because that messes things up as well. And don't take advantage of the other person. It's easy to do that, but I would say resist that temptation, okay? Radiant, let's be families here that serve one another, that serve in the church, that serve each other at home, and we'll have great marriages, and we will be great in the eyes of God. Amen? Number four, practical principle, and we'll finish with this. Stop hiding. Stop hiding. Hiding is a result of sin in Genesis when Adam rebelled against God. Here's what Genesis records. 
Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. Why did, why did they hide? They hid because of their sin. God among the trees. They hid among the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay? Let me read you another verse. In the New Testament, Paul says in Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we carry each other's burdens, we're fulfilling the law. Remember the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the greatest commandment, right? That's, that's how we fulfill the law. Paul says here that when we're carrying each other's burdens, we're fulfilling the law. Remember the law in the Old Testament? There was like 313 different laws. Well, we no longer have those, of course, but we do have the greatest commandment, the greatest law that Jesus gives us, of course. We fulfill that. One of the ways we fulfill that is when we carry each other's burdens. But the idea is this, is that your spouse can't carry the burden that they don't know you have. So what do we do? We hide. We hide our defects. Um, we hide from our spouse because um, we hide our brokenness, we hide our weaknesses, sometimes we hide our temptations, we hide because we're embarrassed. Um, when we, we make ourselves vulnerable, listen, when we expose all of our weaknesses and we hide because we feel shame, right? That's why we hide. We feel shame. We hide because we're unsure. We're, we're thinking out loud, I don't know if you know, what she's going to say when I, when I say this or what he's going to say when I say this. I don't know if they're still going to love me if I say this, if I reveal this. And so we hide from our spouse, right? We hide in all sorts of ways. But listen, Satan, the enemy of our soul, would love for you to continue hiding. That's what he would love for you to do. As long as you continue to hide, listen, you can never receive healing. As long as you continue to hide in the darkness, light will never make its way through. So Satan loves it when we hide. He loves it. Sometimes I think that we hide our offenses. And I think, I think, this is just what I think, I, I, think, I think men, we do it more in the marriage. We hide our offenses. So if you're someone who doesn't like conflict, you're, you're averse to controversy, to an argument maybe, because you fear conflict and because you don't like the awkwardness that it brings, what you do is you brush everything under the carpet. Now, you can do that, but eventually underneath your carpet or your rug is going to be a giant pile of offenses. And then what happens is that eventually, one day, it all comes to the surface. You turn green, you rip your shirt off, you become the hawk, and you're angry. And, and the worst part is that your spouse is blindsided because he or she never knew that you were offended six months ago, four months ago, two weeks ago, 25 minutes ago. So sometimes in the relationship, in the marriage, one of us hides. We don't want to bring the offense up because we, are, we, we, we try to avoid conflict, right? We try to avoid arguments, Okay. But it just won't work if we do that. The idea is, listen, my wife can't carry the burdens she doesn't know I have. How many times have we been offended in our marriages and just expected the spouse, our spouse, to know? Like they can read minds. 
But newsflash, your, your, your husband can't read your mind. Your wife can't read your mind. There have been times where I've been offended in my marriage. And my wife didn't even know. What? Like, how could, how could she not know? And I'm in the corner brooding, and I'm angry. And what is she doing? Just cleaning the counters, making food, and just doing stuff. And I'm just like, right. She has no idea that I'm offended. And then I'll say to her, hey, what you said to me 20 minutes ago, that really hurt my feelings. It did? I didn't know that. Well, yeah, it did. Okay, I didn't mean it that way. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everything is like up here, and it's like, slowly starts to de-escalate, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't know I said it that way. I, I, I didn't mean anything. I, I didn't know I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, will you forgive me? Yeah. Okay, that's it, huh? Cool. I guess we're cool. But there have been times, listen, that if we don't tell our spouse this, it just continues to build and build and build and build and build, right? We have to be able to bring our struggles to our spouse, our insecurities, our issues, and allow them to carry the burdens that we have. Here's what we need to remember. If you're hiding, then you're not fully known. And if you're not fully known, you cannot be fully loved. Marriage is supposed to be the place where you are both fully known and fully loved. The late Timothy Keller said this. He said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. That truly is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. So all of us, we long, for, we long to be fully known, but to be fully loved. We long to be really known. All of our insecurities, all of our hang-ups, all of our issues, we long for someone to see all those ugly things about us and to still embrace us, to still love us. Not so that we can stay where we're at, I'm not saying that, but so that we can be challenged, so we can grow, so that we can be loved, so we can be comforted. Our greatest fear is that if someone knows us truly and they reject us. That is our greatest fear. If you really knew the things inside of my heart and you would reject me, you would run away from me, that's our great fear. So listen, today as we close, we're gonna close with this. I wanna go deeper than marriage for just a moment, but if you're here this morning, or maybe you're even watching online and <clears throat> your life has been characterized by hiding from God, Today might be your day to just come out, man, just come out of hiding. Stop running from him. Because what keeps us hiding is this, shame, guilt, condemnation. And can I just tell you, those are all things that Satan loves to bring on us. So maybe you're here and you've been running from God for years and years and years. Maybe just for months, I don't know. I don't know your story, but I just want to challenge you to come out of hiding this morning to come into the light, to receive healing, to receive forgiveness, to have your eyes open to faith. Let there be a true change today that when you leave these doors, your life would never be the same. 
If you're hiding in your marriage, maybe you're in your marriage and you're hiding from your spouse, insecurities, weaknesses, offenses maybe, you've been offended with things or you don't like certain things and you've always been afraid to bring those things up. Listen, you can only bring those things up through humility. You can only receive healing if you communicate those things with your spouse. Bring those things into the light with humility, with kindness, so that you can have healing in your marriage, in that relationship. Maybe, maybe for you, you're, you're, you're hiding an insecurity, but your spouse can come and she can help you. She can carry that burden for you. She can say, honey, that's not the truth. Here's the truth of what God's word says. She can build you up with your words and your life and your relationship can begin to change from that point on because your spouse can't carry the burdens that they don't know that you have. So if that's you this morning, I want you to just come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Receive his love. Receive his forgiveness. But remember, last thing I'll say, we'll close up. Remember, forgiveness is like you, you got to reach out. You got you to reach out for it. You can't just say, well, I want it. You, you got to reach out. You, you got to open your hands. You got to open your heart. You got you to say, I, Lord, I want it. I recognize that I'm broken. I recognize that I made a, a mess. But I'm here, to, I'm here to receive what you have. I, I, I believe you're merciful. And so merciful, God, I need your forgiveness. You, you got to reach out for it. It's like a gift. If you leave it in the box, it doesn't count. And so I want you to reach out for it today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And Lord, we just pray that no matter where we're at today, that we'd come out of hiding, Lord. Some of us have been running from you for far too long, Lord. Lord, I know that we're all different places this morning, God, and I, I realize that, Lord. But wherever we're at, Lord, I pray that we would not continue to hide in darkness. We would not continue to be maybe gripped with resentment, gripped with bitterness in our hearts. Maybe our spouse left us. Maybe we're here because uh, our partner ran out on us, left us with the kids, abandoned us. God, don't Allow us to stay in our bitterness, God. Don't allow us to, to brood in anger, God. We want to experience freedom today, Lord. We want to come out of hiding, God, and to receive your love, your reconciliation, your forgiveness, Lord. Lord, so would you heal broken hearts? Would you heal broken marriages today, God? Would people begin to come out of hiding into the light to receive what you have for them, God? And I believe, God, that today, you're going to change families. You're going to change relationships. From this point on, things will be different, God, because we trust you, Lord. We reach our hands out, and we're asking for forgiveness. We're asking for grace and mercy, God, that you are so full of, God. You are so full of, Lord, because of Jesus, because Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. And Jesus was beaten and struck down so that we wouldn't be beaten and struck down. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to die in our sin. We could receive life. And we want that today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, the prayer team's going to come up here and we want to pray over you and your relationship.